thing is. While they were watching wide-eyed, a, a little old lady in a wheelchair rolled up to the moving walls and pressed a button. The walls opened. The lady rolled in between the two small doors, and the walls closed, and they watched a circle of lights with numbers go up higher and higher and down lower and lower. They continued to watch the, the circle of lights that came down in the reverse directions. The wall opened again, and there was a voluptuous 24-year-old woman who stepped out. Curtis turned to his wife and said, you try it. <laughs> and that's where the fight started. Uh, husband was there in the bed, and he was reading, and his wife was in the bathroom in front of the mirror, and she come out and said, well, I've got circles under my eyes and crow's feet, wrinkled forehead. I'm overweight. My hair is turning loose and turning gray. I need you to give me a compliment. He said, well, your eyesight's nearly perfect. <laughs> and that's where the fight started. Another modern take on that could be Adam told Eve that he was headed out to the field to work for his very first time ever and said, honey, I'll be late for dinner. And that's when the fight started. Sometimes, whether you think it's humorous or not, we deal with difficult and uncomfortable situations through humor. Uh, today, we're looking at something that's very serious, and I talked about this a little while ago. Where are you today? Well, you're in church, of course, but, but where are you? January is typically a a time of year for fresh starts. There's New Year's resolutions that people talk about. There's personal inventory. I, I a lot of times find myself taking personal inventory of, of the year past and uh, thinking about the year to come with, with questions like, what did I do last year? Maybe what did I accomplish last year? Uh, uh, what was holding me back or what's holding me back to move forward this year? And most New Year's resolutions are a response to something that we don't like about ourselves, our environment. So we, we start a new year and there's something that we want to change about ourselves. They may be shortcomings, they may be uh, failures, they may be setbacks, and we say, well, this year uh, I'm going to do that. And, and uh, we start on those resolutions and then uh, quickly following that for some, those resolutions go away. Uh, I used to go to a gym and work out uh, every day, believe it or not. Uh, I quit in COVID, and that's been my excuse ever since, but uh, that was true. They closed down, but it's always amazing the first uh, week in January, it was packed. I went before work, so I was there by 5.30 or so in the morning, it was packed. By the first week of February, it was about half, and by March, it was just the same six or seven people that was always there. I mean, they uh, they start off with, uh, we start off with these great ideals, and and uh, somehow they just, uh, just kind of go away with time, and that's what resolutions seem to do. Uh, this case that we're talking about today is probably the, one of the, the most famous Christian stories of Scripture, and it's the account of Adam and Eve <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve made the worst decision of their lives. When God said there's only one tree that you can stay away from, don't eat from that tree, from everything else you can have, everything in the garden except this one. And they, in direct disobedience, disobeyed God, and they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, we went to, uh, to Jamaica, and in Jamaica, I tell y'all stories all the time, there's an ackee tree, okay? 
Y'all remember that tree? It's got that real red fruit on it. I mean, it is a, a candy apple red, and it looks kind of like a pear. And it's all in the trees. It's the national fruit of Jamaica. And, uh, of course, that's one of the first things that grabs your attention. They're just growing everywhere. And uh, the, the people there said, don't eat that fruit. It's poisonous. And said there's one time of year that, it's, that you can harvest it, and uh, it has to be prepared correctly. And it's not like a pear. When you cut it open, it's a bunch of little pods in there about the size of a uh, pecan, and uh, somehow they cook it. We've never tried it that I know of. Uh, if we have, we've lived through it. But, but to look at the fruit and to look at the tree and to look at the surroundings, you think, oh, that just looks, that looks like a great fruit. That looks wonderful to me. And uh, uh, so uh, the people that know said, don't eat from that. And God knew. And he said, don't eat from that tree. It may look good, but, but stay away from that. So as you picture this scenario in your mind, notice that Eve is there in the garden. She's uh, maybe standing there stroking a line, her pet line. You know, they, they were there together, so we would have no reason to think any different. She may have been gazing at all the trees that uh, she could eat from, and she may have been looking at that one tree that Adam, through the direction of God, said, don't touch that tree, don't mess with that tree. Uh, and so she probably began to wonder, what's wrong with that tree? And she probably got a little closer to it, and she probably examined it a little close. I've... I've picked fruit up off the ackee tree, and I've looked at it, and I've, I've examined it, and there's on the ground everywhere, and, and uh, she may have done that. She may have looked at it and thought, well, what's so special about this? What's so special about this tree? And then along came the serpent, and whatever the serpent was, maybe uh, they're talking about what they're going to have from dinner from the farmer's market. Adam's there with her, and she says, hey, what about this? And... and uh, a uh, short time later, Eve messes up. She, she tries it. She said, well, let's just, just try a bag. Y'all ever steal grapes at the grocery store? You know, just you got to look at them. And then uh, uh, I've never done it. No, that's not true. But, you know, uh, uh, she might say, let's just take one. This one grape, one bite, and let's see what it tastes like. And then uh, we all, we uh, often we just pass it off on uh, on Eve. But said she gave it some, to, gave some to Adam there with her. She may have said, "This is really tasty. Uh, why don't you give it a try?" And that's when the drama started. Uh, what happens next is they try to fix themselves. They uh, they deny the seriousness of the situation that they're in. They uh, uh, they go to a point of denial. Maybe they say it's not too mad. Maybe we can just run away from God. Maybe we can, maybe we can just hide from God. Maybe we can just explain it to God. And I want us to think about in our lives: Are there times that we may, we may uh, deny the seriousness of our sin, the seriousness of the situation we're in, and we may think, "Well, I'll just run away from God. I'll hide it from God. I, I won't let Him know that this sin is there. And if He finds out," I'll just explain it away. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They decided they would just hide. They would, they would run away. And, and while they were there in Genesis 9, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, they hear God and he says, Adam, where are you? This morning I want to ask you if God would say to you and to me, Jake, where are you today? 
Where are you today? And, and we're going to look at that scripture here in just a minute. And, and Adam and Eve is sensed against God. Their, their first tries to cover it up. Their second tries to hide, is try to hide from it. And, and I wonder how God felt when he went out searching for them. You ever thought about that? I wonder what God's, what God's cry sounded like. I wonder if it was like, Adam, where are you? Or if it was more like a, a mother that sees her child hiding after she's uh, dridden, written with their new Crayolas on the wall in their room that they got for Christmas, uh, and it was a sharp cry, or maybe it was one of, a, of just desperation to call. Adam, where are you at? I can't find you. I don't see you. We don't, we don't, know, that, we don't know what that call was, but we can conclude that it was a... It was surely a just God. It was surely a just call. And, and he calls out, and we see that at the beginning, uh, God starts a recovery program. From that time on, God starts a recovery program, his first intervention of sorts, and we see an extreme personal cost to himself. If you're in Genesis chapter 3, go down to verse 9, or uh, verse 8, I guess. And Genesis 3, 8, And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God Almighty among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, if you would like, you can go on and read the rest of those scriptures, but we're going to stop there. So uh, maybe some of you have worried uh, in the past, or maybe you're worried today, I've messed up so much that God just can't use me anymore. Maybe, maybe you're, you're riddled with some kind of guilt, and, and the psalmist knew those type of feelings, okay? Uh, King David said in Psalms 38, 4, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Maybe you feel like you just you just need to crawl under a rock, and and I, I we start a new year, and you know for some people they're just uh, well it's just the same old thing, it's a different page, it's just a new year. But but where are you today? Some of you may feel like you spent years and years, and you have no more youth left, and and your vision and your desires desires are simply dried up, and you're just going through the motions of every day. Where are you today? Wherever you are, I have some really good news. God is not finished with you yet. I believe that, that God still has a plan for you, and you're still useful to God. Because if you weren't, I don't believe you would still be here as a Christian. I think God would say, okay, I'm through with you. I'm going to bring you on up to your reward. So if you're here today, if you're still breathing, I think if you're still moving, you are still be able to be used by God. So wherever you are, if you say, well, I'm too old or I'm too young or I've had too bad of a past or I've got too many things going on, uh, remember this, God still wants you. He still wants you. He still has a purpose for you. He still has a plan for you. You just need to find your way. One of my movies that I really like, if I said I have one of my favorite movies, who would y'all think is in it? John Wayne. This doesn't have John Wayne in it, believe it or not. You would call this a chick flick, probably. Uh, it has Zach Afron in it. Y'all know who he is? <laughs> is that not even right? <laughs> Efron. It's Afron, if I say, okay. <laughs> yeah, like they don't like the movie, too. So what movie is it? 
17 again. Have you ever watched that? In that movie, 17 again, it's a, it's a middle-aged man and woman. He's got two children that are in high school, and, and uh, they started their relationship right out of high school. They had a child uh, born right out of high school, and he was a great basketball player. And, and he lived his life thinking, if I had only not got mixed up in a relationship, I could be a professional basketball player. And, and so... Through the course of some events of the movie, he gets his wish, and he's turned 17 again. And in this movie, 17 again, he, uh, he ends up in high school with his children. Of course, they don't know he's his children. Him and his wife separate and are divorced, or going through a divorce. And, and in, the, in the divorce proceedings, of course, he can't show up because he's 17 again. Uh, he's been talking to his wife because he becomes his son's best friend. You got to see the movie. It's really good, and I'll loan it to you if you wanna if you wanna watch it. But uh, but uh, he he realizes uh, he goes to a basketball game, and that's where he and his girlfriend uh, decided to reconcile and stay together instead of him going his own way. So he's at the basketball game, and and uh, he's. He's out there shooting, and he looks, and there's his wife. Of course, she's still middle-aged. He's 17, but he's made these statements throughout the movie that, that she's like, how do you know that? Because only my husband would know that, and, and he's, he's covering it up. You know, it, it's, it's a really good movie, but while she's in court, he writes this note, and I can't quote the note, but he says, I was lost and I just needed to find my way again. And I want you to think about that statement. Sometimes we get lost. We think we want to be over here. We think, what have I given up? What have I, what have I missed out on? What have I done? And we become lost from God. Now, God didn't move. God didn't leave us or abandon us or forsaken us. We just became lost, and we need to find our way again. And that's what I want us to talk about this uh, today, how do we find our way again? This is a new year. We're approaching quickly tomorrow. I believe it's the first day of the new year. We're on we're on New Year's Eve, and and uh, so how do we find our way? I want to give you I want to give you three clues to help you find your way in the new year. And the first is this: discover where you're at. You know, if you don't know where you're at, you certainly can't know where you're going. Uh, I've been there before. I've been lost before, and and I've been driving before, and I think, you know, I don't even know where I'm at. So the the first thing is Denise and I were dating. We were leaving Six Flags all legit. I don't know where I was at, but I was lost, and I was driving, and it was there were no cell phones, there were no Siri, there were no Google Earth maps, and and uh. Finally, probably Six Flags closed at midnight then. We always, I always had to be home at midnight. So she had to be home before then. I think finally I got to come home at 1230 and she had to be home at midnight. But, but we had to call her dad, which that's a whole other story, at like 1 or 1.30 in the morning. You remember this, don't you? I don't know where we were at, but we were not headed towards Cooper, uh, McKinney, Texas, but he answers the phone, and I'm like, bud, this is Jake. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> it's 2 in the morning. <laughs> I said, we are lost. And 
through conversation. He said, Cole, tell me what you see. Just tell me something. You, you haven't given me nothing. And I start describing what road we're on, and I start describing some cross streets. And he worked down in the Dallas area and Fort Worth area, and he said, okay, I know where you're at. You need to do this, this, and this. But, you know, until I discovered where I was at, I was going to stay lost. And, and discovering where we're at a lot of times helps us be able to move forward to where we need to be. And, and so when we look at Adam, God calls out to Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I heard you in the garden. Literally, he says, I heard the sound of you. Can you imagine the desperation that a parent might have as they raise a child, they shower them with love, they give them everything they need, and, and a lot of times everything they ever wanted, and their, their precious offsprings run away to find a better way of life. And, and how frantic maybe the father or the mother who drops everything to hunt for uh, that little child, maybe a little girl that's gone to Hollywood to be the next star, and they go and find her abused, living in the streets, and, and all the things that can happen, and laden with addictions. Can you imagine what that feels like? If, if you know Dennis Swanberg, y'all remember him? We played one of his videos one time. He's, he's called the Minister Encouragement. I would encourage you to get on the uh, Google and Google Dennis Swanberg testimony about his son. His son became an alcoholic. He, uh, he had to go. He got a phone call that we have your son in jail. And, and he says he got in his car to drive five or six hours. And he was thinking about how he had given his son everything, how they had raised his son. And he made a great point in there. Don't take the blame on yourself for what your children do because what did Adam and Eve do? God gave them everything. They had a perfect situation. They had a perfect upbringing, and they chose to go against God. And, and we need to realize that, and he has a great testimony about his son. But, but think about the struggle in a parent's heart between that tough love and that compassion. That's part of Swanberg's testimony, that discipline versus blind grace and how you balance that situation. But we see a great example of God as he comes to Adam and Eve and he balances that situation. He comes to the point and, and thinks about, hey, Adam and Eve, I still have a plan for you. You disobeyed me. You, you made the worst decision of your life, but I'm not going to abandon you. You know, it would have been real easy for God just to say, wipe them out, let's start over. I'm going to create another man. I've got plenty of dirt. He's got plenty of ribs. I'm just going to make another man and woman. I'm going to start the whole plan over. No, he said, I'm going to make a way for you to reconcile yourself to God. We're going to start here. I'm going to offer up grace. There's going to be some, some restitution for it. There's going to be uh, some discipline for it. But, but I, have a, I have a new plan for you. And, and think about what that means. Friday, Friday, quitting time, Jim said, Boss, do you have any extra work I can do tonight? And uh, he says, Sure, but I can't pay you overtime. He said, Well, that's all right. I, I can't go home. And the boss says, Why not? And he said, Well, uh, I'm in the doghouse since last night. The boss said, I see wine. He said, uh, Well, I didn't really do anything to deserve it. I still don't know why she's mad, but one of those women things, I guess I was on my minding my own business, relaxing, watching TV. My wife came in and asked, what's on the TV? And I said, it looks like dust to me. And he said, ever since then, she's been mad at me. So, so guys, don't try that. We'll address that issue. But, but it starts with listening. It starts with directing the Holy Spirit directing you. 
not you directing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit directing you. We do a self-inventory right now when we pray, Father, where I am I? The Holy Spirit will begin to reveal where we are. It's kind of like when I called Bud and he said, hey, look around at your surroundings. Maybe explain some things and I can help you figure out where you are. And God hits that right on the head. He lays out the consequences that, that were going to happen to Adam and Eve. The, the parties that involved, they accepted those consequences. They didn't have any choice but accept those consequences. Obviously, they were disturbed, but nonetheless, they accepted for them. They accepted them from them and he passed out judgment on the spot. The, the Satan was... The serpent was cursed, the, uh, the woman was changed, the man lost his privileges, and, and the bottom line is every one of us has to face the music. We used to say, pay the fiddler. You know, one of these days, we've got to face the music. Why not face it now sooner than later? Yeah, there may be some things, there may be some consequences of your past, but you know what? God forgives them. Just accept those consequences. Realize I made a bad decision. Adam and Eve had to realize I had a, I had a bad decision. There are consequences of my decision. Adam and Eve, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. That's where the problem started. Literally, that's why I told you that last story. That's where the problem started. We see the curse with Adam and Eve is still where the problem started today. So find out where you are this morning. Just pray. Make that your prayer. If you don't get an answer, pray that all week. God, just show me where I am. Here's the second thing. Deal with the temptation. When God shows you where you are, when you finally fill out we are, figure out where you are, deal with that temptation. What happened to Adam and Eve? They were removed from the garden immediately, weren't they? That temptation wasn't there anymore because it was taken away. They were out of the garden, and not only were they taken out of the garden, there was a guard set there that they couldn't go back into the garden. So that temptation was moved immediately, and we need to do the same thing. Here's our problem, and I can speak for myself. I won't say our problem. A lot of times we enjoy our temptations. We enjoy those pleasures of sin, so... We don't want to immediately remove them. We don't want to deal with them. We just want God to say, well, okay, that's all right this time, and let's move on and just do something else. That's not how God operates. He says, where are you at? When you figure out where you're at, remove the temptation. Now, I think it was Joseph. Remember what he did? He was tempted. He ran out of his cloak. He got out of the situation. He said, boy, I'm tempted. I'm a young, I'm a teenage boy. This woman's coming on to me. She grabs me. It would have been easy to turn around and lay a big sloppy wet one right on her lips, but he didn't. He said, I'm out of here. And he, flo- he fleed. He flewed. <laughs> Help me out, Dina. <laughs> he fled. <laughs> he fleed, flewed, and fled from the temptation. And you know, that's what we need to do. Look in verse 16. He says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. I've told you this before. Doesn't that sound like not such a bad thing? Men, doesn't that sound good? That your wife is always going to desire you? That ain't even what that means. It means the desire will be for the wife to rule over the husband but the husband will be the head of the home. That's where that came in, and that's where the problem started. And it's still going on today. And, and for the man, he says to him, and you're going to have to start working for your food. 
No longer are you going to be able to go outside and go to the farmer's market and pick all the fruits and all the things you want. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to till the land. You're going to have to fight the thorns and the thistles and the briars and the weeds and all of those things. That was the curse. That was the temptation they had. They learned from that experience. So we, we figure out where we are. We deal with the temptation and then learn from that experience. What's that saying, you know, if you... I don't even remember the definition of ignorance or something is to keep doing the same thing and expect different results you know that's uh learn from that when god says hey this is where you are through the direction of the holy spirit here's the temptation you get rid of the temptation learn something about those things and and the thing is once we learn about those things move away from it now i said god said in the plan there with the curse, we see that the desire will be for your husband. He'll rule over you. The man says you'll have to work for your food. And then in verse 21, in Genesis 3.15, I mean, God says that the servant will crush your heel. I messed that up, I think. God tells the servant that he will use the woman's offspring to crush your head. Now, that's the plan of redemption. That's the plan that God said, I'm going to make a way... Adam and Eve, for you to mend that relationship to God. And he's talking about uh, Jesus Christ coming, the, the seed of the woman coming and crushing the head of Satan, the serpent, and, and how that plan of redemption is going to come through all eternity. So, so God is more concerned about the situation than you are, and he wants to help you through that situation. Uh, realize that you have a future. Notice in verse 10, Adam says, I was afraid and I hid. Uh, you know, every Christian has a past, don't we? Every sinner has a past. And, and every sinner has a future. And every Christian has a future. Some would say, but Jake, I've messed up. You don't understand. I've, whatever, fill in the blank. I've done this. And, and I would say, so what? So what? Because I would argue that all other Christians are not as great as you may think they are. We all have a past, and, and every sinner has a future. God has a bright future planned for you. Doug and Jim and I used to sing, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know what? We're all still sinners. We have an old nature. We have a new nature. They're at, fight. They're at war with one another. They're fighting one another. We're all sinners just saved by grace, and even if we've messed up, that's what happened God didn't forsake Adam and Eve. God didn't leave Adam and Eve. There were some consequences because of their action. The nature of the relationship with God changed, but they, he did not forsake them. He didn't leave them. Matter of fact, in the judgment of God pronounces that would defeat Satan once and all through Eve descendants. That's what he said. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I, have, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I have plans for you to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you hope, and a future. Now, I'm not one of these preachers always preaching, you know, just uh, just do this, you're going to be happy, wealthy, and wise, and all the rest of your life. But God says to us, hey, I have plans for you. My plan's not to harm you. My plan's is to, uh, is to have you prosper. My plan's is to give you hope and a future. Psalms 118 says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his Love endures forever, expecting that God is, is used to raise us up completely. Listen to this scripture, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. 
and what can mere mortals do to me? When you think it can't get any worse and you're, uh, you, you just, just think that it can't get any better, it can't get any worse, just think of what God said. Jeremiah goes on and says this, Then I will call on me, then you will call on me, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and you will find me, and you'll seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Isn't that great news? You know, when you say things can't get any worse, I don't know if things can get any better, the Lord says, hey, just call to me. Just seek me out, and you're going to find me. And, and I'm going to come to you, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to be there with you, and I'm going to help you through difficult times. Watch, watch your strength grow out of your weaknesses. This is, a, this is the last thing. Watch your strength grow out of your weaknesses. So verse 10, Adam says, I hid. Adam was feeling shame. He was feeling remorse, and uh, these, are, these are new feelings for him. He's never felt them before. He, he'd never been in that situation before. Now he's shunning the approach of the one who who used to welcome, he used to welcome God wholeheartedly. They used to walk together and talk together, and, and now he's hiding from him. But out of failure, God does something rather remarkable. God takes the weakness of Adam that he just admitted to him, and he does something powerful through him, through Adam. You watch your strengths grow from your weaknesses. I'm not excusing sin, but you know as well as I do that the person that has gone through something is better equipped than someone that's never been there. If you've struggled with this addiction and you've overcame it, you're the best person to help someone else overcome something because you've been there. If you've been through the grief of losing a loved one and someone loses a, a loved one for the first time, you're better equipped than anyone to help them because you've been there. And think about Adam and Eve. God says, grow through your... Your, your weaknesses and grow and make that one of your strengths. And folks, for us, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. When God reveals where you are, when you turn from your sin, when you realize that God has something more for you, use what you've learned and grow and make that a strength that you might help others. Second Corinthians says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Therefore I will boast all more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Isn't that great? I want you just to think about that scripture. Jot it down. Go back and read 2 Corinthians 12, 9. If you're hiding, but you can, uh, you really can't evade God, can you? He's all-seeing. He's all-knowing. He, he, he sees everything. If we're struggling with something, then maybe... Uh, that where God, that's where God wants us to be. Maybe as we overcome, we grow some kind of strength. I could give you testimonies from my own life of some things I went through, even in ministry, that I just couldn't understand why God would allow something like that to happen. I was, thought I was doing my best. I thought I was trying my best. But through that, I've grown. I've grown stronger. I've grown more compassionate. I've grown more graceful. You may say, boy, you may have been a long way away then because you're not very compassionate now, but I was a long way away. Psalms 139 says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Psalms 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? We hide nothing from God. It's all laid before him. I want to close with a story this morning. There's a story about a young boy who had no left arm. He was tempted to get discouraged and allow this to handicap to get the best of him. 
<clears throat> However, instead of wallowing in his sorrow, he used his weakness as a benefit. The boy began lessons with an old Japanese judo instructor. After about three months in, he began to notice that the master had only taught him one move. Sensei, the boy required, why am I only learning one move? This is the only move that you need to know, the master replied. Several months later, the sensei took the boy to his first tournament. Surprisingly, the young boy was doing very well. Regardless of his handicap, he re remained, or he had mastered the first two rounds and defeated his opponents. It was amazing just, amazing just how uh, this one throw, he was able to overpower, able to overpower his opponents. The next opponent, opponent came. He struggled a bit, but that didn't faze him. He remained strong, and yet this one move pulled him through victoriously. In his last match, his opponent was quite, bit, quite bigger, quite a bit stronger, quite a bit faster. Uh, it appeared as the young boy was going to lose. The referee even called a timeout in fear that he was going to get hurt, but the sensei said, no, let him continue. Toward the end of the match, the boy's opponent let his guard down, and with limited strength and confidence, the boy was able to use that one move to pin his opponent, his opponent and win the tournament. After the tournament, the boy asked, Sensei, how did I win with that only that one move? The Sensei answered, you won for two reasons. First, you've mastered almost one of the most difficult throws of judo. And secondly, the only defense for that move is for the opponent to grab your left arm, <laughs> which he didn't have. And the boy's weakness became his greatest strength. You know, when we're weak, Paul said, in my weakness, I am made strong. That I may boast about Christ in me. This morning, whatever your weakness may be, the Lord says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest and take my yoke upon me and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to ask you to pray with me this morning, and I want to ask you, would you just follow those three simple steps just this morning to say, God, where am I? You know, where am I? You may, God may say, you're just exactly where I want you to be. Just keep on plugging along. You know, in due time, you're going to reap a harvest. That's what the Bible says. God may reveal some area to you that says, hey, this is kind of holding you back from where I really want you to be. Get rid of that temptation. Flee that temptation. Move away from that temptation that you might be where God would have you to be. And then lastly, you may say, well, that's something I've struggled with. Make that struggle become your strength you can overcome it through the holy spirit of god he can help us overcome all things the first step starts with this do you have a personal relationship with jesus christ we do that through just admitting that we can't fix ourselves our best attempts we have are just filthy rags 
but we can accept the gift of Jesus Christ. We can ask for forgiveness of our sins. We can ask that his blood would cover our sins, that he would be give us a new nature. We might be born again in the family of God. That's where it starts. If you've done that, remember God never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He wants to breathe into your life that, that life and get you out of that valley of dry bones if that's where you find yourself and give you a new walk and a new hope and a new year. Father, I pray this morning as we have a time of invitation, I pray that your spirit would lead us the direction you to have us go and we'd respond to your wooing in the name of Jesus. Amen.